1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Viplis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for being here. If you haven't already subscribed to Inside Carolina, I don't know what you're doing, so Go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss any of the content our team at Inside Carolina puts out. It hardly takes any time, and it helps us out a great deal. It's something that we're very appreciative of. Also, speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to remind everybody about Johnny T-Shirt. Johnny T-Shirt is the go-to shop for all things Carolina apparel. They've got your football jerseys, the T-shirts, the basketball gear, the hats. The weather's getting cooler. They've got all the hoodies and jackets with the Carolina gear that you could possibly ever want. Christmas is approaching. Again, if if you haven't done your holiday shopping yet, I don't know what you're doing or what you're waiting for, but the people at Johnny T Shirt can take care of you. So you could take care of the Taro fan in your life or for yourself by going to Johnny T Shirt on Franklin Street, or you can visit them online at johnnyt shirt.com. And don't forget, inside Carolina, premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, let's get to it. As always, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman Mike Ingersoll and E.J. Wilson. Guys. Almost 24 hours later, I'm still trying to process what exactly happened, where Carolina beats the brakes off of Miami at Miami against a nationally ranked program. Carolina's first win over a top 10 team. They beat Miami 62 to 26. Carolina's first win against a major opponent since 2004. Mike, uh, we'll start with you. What were, what were your general takeaways?
2: Yeah, first win against a top 10 since 2004, same team, yeah. right? Just different, uh, different surroundings. Same team, slightly different result, different ending. Um, I mean, there, there's not a lot to say. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat that you and EJ are in right now. I'm trying to kind of process what happened. I mean, this, is, this goes back to we talked a couple of weeks ago after the Notre Dame game where it was a tale of two halves, and I use the anecdote of my wife looking at me and saying, I, you, you never know what you're getting with this team from drive to drive or from half to half or quarter to quarter. I mean, and, and, and I think that's, that's true yet again, right? You know, we didn't, the first half Carolina team was a different team than the second half Carolina team against Notre Dame. This was a completely different defense than we've seen for the most part all year. We've seen a couple again, again, first half defense against Notre Dame. Um, really, I mean, second half defense against Notre Dame wasn't terrible, um, but first half defense against Notre Dame, that's the defense that showed up here against Miami for the whole game. Um, and what I was most impressed with, and EJ again on the defensive side, but as an offensive player, what I was most impressed with was the fact that our defense didn't let up the whole game. Um, you know, and obviously the running game. I mean, there's really not a whole lot to say about that except for 544 rushing yards, right? I mean, that's or five, what was it 544 or 554?
1: I believe it was 544. Yep. five forty four. Yeah.
2: I mean, it just absolutely the same thing that the announcers at Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler kept talking about. Got Manny Diaz fired at Miami or at uh, at Texas by Mac Brown. I mean, uh, Mac Brown almost had to fire him from Miami from the other sideline last night for the <laughs> same thing. Um, but I, I was, I mean, I was shocked. I mean, I, I Frank. I mean, it's it's it, this needs to be a defensive podcast. I know we dropped 62 points, and I mean, but offensively, it was there's not a whole lot to critique. There's not a whole lot to talk about. Um, this this is going to be a I think a defense heavy. Podcast, you know, pat on the back kind of thing. I, you know, we exude positivity here on the Inside Carolina Positivity Podcast. But I think this one might actually be a positive podcast for once.
1: EJ, he uh, is making you the star of the podcast today. He's graciously handing EJ it is he always is. the star. Kind of the, podcast. the way Michael Carter and Javante Williams share touches. You know, Mike doesn't care if it's if this is your podcast to shine. So, what was Carolina's? What were your biggest takeaways from Carolina's defense? Me and EJ frequently share touches, much like Javante and Michael Carter. Yeah, we
2: oh, do. Oh, well, we're we're recording right
1: now.
0: Yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, I thought there was still pre-Pod. My bad. Well, since Mike's kind of teed me up, I'll go ahead and, and give my parental advisory garden uh, um, preface right now. I'm going to use some words that people aren't used to us here using on this podcast: dominant, <laughs> discipline. Energetic, swarming, and those are all words to describe that defense yesterday. I honestly, through the first two quarters, I just found myself looking around the room, like, "Who is this defense, and who are these players who've suited up in the uniforms and bodies of the players that we've been seeing for the previous ten games?" I mean, it was it was everything that we've talked about on this pod. I I mean, I'm gonna pat our pat myself on the back and say that the coaching staff and some of the players have been listening to our podcast and seeing what some of the issues have been. And I mean, they're completely corrected. I mean. We cut down on the on, on the um the missed tackles. We contained the quarterback and I think we did a very very good job on him and I think Miami was kind of surprised and it kind of forced them to kind of change their game plan a little bit because I mean the Eric King was bottled up all day that offense was bottled up but I'm really impressed um, with what they did to contain a running quarterback. I mean they tried to run the quarterback power they had been hitting um throwing out to the wide receiver quick in the flats they were faking some of that trying to get the quarterback to run but I think he had maybe 50 something rushing yards and most of that was probably scramble play. So I definitely want to take my hats off to that defense. But my biggest takeaway is that on yesterday, we saw what we're going to see in the future with what our defense is going to look like when we get talent and capable players in some of those positions. A lot of our young guys came through and they shined yesterday. In particular, in particular Jaquarius Conley. Yeah. He was a absolute man man yesterday not two sacks pass breakups you're talking about tackles for loss setting the edge I mean Dez Evans uh Clyde Pender I mean it it was just uh, other than Chaz and Jeremiah I think every every other splash play really yesterday was made by by one of those young guys and even the guy I've kind of been picking on all year Don Chapman came through and made some big plays and this wasn't an in-state school this wasn't a local rivalry. this was a game that says hey you guys think you're the best we, we, we got some, we got some deep seated issues where this is probably becoming a rivalry, and we went out and we performed our offense put up 62 points and we held them to 26 points. And I honestly, I mean, some of those were garbage time touchdowns. I think the only real solid drive they probably had was the one to close out the set the, the first half. But I still think that we kind of made some mistakes, um, some penalties and, uh, uh, just a few mistakes that allowed them to have that drive. But overall, we control the tempo of this game. And, and, and you see what can happen when our defense is in sync with our offense. I mean, we broke a, a record that I don't think is going to be broken in anytime soon with the amount of rushing yards that our running back tandem had and just the amount of total offense that we put up. And it, it's kind of good to see a performance like that and it not be a 62-58 to 58 game where we actually control the game and, and stop them and we look like a formidable team. I just only wish that. Uh, we could have had this uh, t- this defense playing like this all season. But if it's and butts were candies and nuts, then we'd all have a Merry Christmas. So. <laughs> yeah, you say that you don't
1: know if this uh, performance can be repeated by a running backs in the future for Carolina football. Michael Carter and Javante Williams, they still have one more game together. So I've <laughs> seen crazier things happen. And this team, I've kind of come to learn, like, Expect the unexpected. If, if there's any duo that can top 544 rushing yards, it's those two against whoever Carolina is playing in the ball game. But, you know, my biggest takeaway was that this was the signature win that Carolina really needed as yeah. a program. They, they showed, stretches in the Clemson game last year that they can hang with the nationally ranked teams and these programs with this prestige and they showed the Notre Dame game that they're they're close they're somewhat close but this was the first time where they really got over the edge and kind of made uh, a statement to the country that Carolina football is here to compete And people can try to discredit this win by saying like Miami didn't show up like Carolina beat the the will out of this Miami team and Mike I know I know it's something I'm pretty sure you've mentioned on this podcast or podcast previously that Miami is a team that you know I talk so much the answer is probably yes you get (laughs) you get a lead on Miami and you could sense them on the field starting to quit and that's Uh, that's what you saw yesterday like Carolina right Butch Davis yeah Carolina Carolina knows that if if you jump out on Miami and you keep your foot on the gas Miami is a team that is going to just lay down and quit and it wasn't a case of Miami not showing up that's just knowing who you're going up against and knowing how to go out and attack them and the the other thing I kind of want to talk about just in the general takeaways is just kind of looking at this team big picture because just two years ago we were talking about a program that had won five games in two years combined and Now we're sitting here talking about Carolina potentially playing in a New Year's Six Orange Bowl type game for the first time since I think I saw like 1947. And I think it's a point I've made on previous podcasts that the the coaching staff rightfully gets a lot of the credit, but the upperclassmen from this team for keeping this team together, for laying the groundwork and being able to you know, you have stud freshmen performing, you have a truce uh you have a sophomore like Sam Howell performing, but there's so much talent elsewhere where it's easy to plug in an elite quarterback like Sam Howell with the skill positions, or it's easy to put a guy like Tony Grimes or Jaquarius Conley in when you have guys like Jeremiah Gemmel, uh like Tamon Fox, like Chaz Surratt. So that was what I saw that was really encouraging. But Mike, it feels like we start here basically every podcast talking about Michael Carter and Javante Williams and 544 rushing yards, most ever by teammates in FBS history. And at least the past 10 years, the most rushing yards for a player against Miami was Michael Carter with 308 yards. And the second most was Javante Williams with 236 yards. So how do you even begin to put their performance into words? Well, I mean, I said it after the Wake Forest game. I mean, I guess we got to
2: score 60 points to beat people, right? I mean, I was being a little – I mean, I'm being facetious now, but, I mean, I didn't actually think we'd drop 62 points on the number 10 team. Um, And let's let's not sit here and act like – and we talk about the performance that uh, Javante and Michael had, right? They weren't going up against slouches. I mean, this wasn't a – this isn't like a bad Miami team, or this isn't like a middle-of-the-road ACC team. This is a very good Miami team, and they have been very good all year long. The Eric King has had a very good year. I mean, this is a guy who was in the Heisman conversation a couple of years ago at Houston, right? I mean, he, and he hasn't fallen off. I mean, he's still that same player. So it's, it's, it's encouraging to see it, right? I mean, you get really excited when you look at something like this. It's like, well, this, is, this is what they're actually capable of. Um, this is the team again. Hot, cold. Don't know what you're getting. This was a near perfect game offensively for Carolina, and defensively, it was it was near perfect. Also, save a couple of a couple of drives, right? Uh, you know, a couple of couple of miscues, couple of mental errors, whatever. I mean, this very easily could have been a seventy to seven or a seventy to three kind of game. And and there was a point there early on in the you know about. Three quarters of the way through the first quarter, that's kind of what this looked like. It was shaping up to be kind of a, you know, maybe a thirty-five or a forty-two to three kind of game. You know, Miami ended up uh, scoring a touchdown. They brought it close at there at the half. They finished out that drive. Um, well, not close, but they, you know, they they had a drive going at the half. Like they had some momentum, and it, it felt like, you know, we have to. And I texted some people this, but like we had to score when we came out in the second half right? This is the keep, keep the foot on the gas kind of thing. That's something that uh, the first time EJ and I heard that about Miami was actually from Butch Davis. They're, you know, the architect of the 2000, uh, 2001 national championship, uh, uh, national, cha- national, national championship contending team. Right. Um, he told us, he's like, you know, listen, even with all my time there, all right. The one thing that is true is that they're extremely talented, but if you get out in front of them, right, they're probably going to lay down and that's, the way that most Miami games that we played in played out. Um, I had one exception my senior year. We got out out to a lead, but we didn't get a big enough lead, and they ended up blowing the doors off of us on primetime TV in 2010. But for the most part, that is the formula to beat Miami. Um, But you never expect it to go like this, particularly against a team that's really, really good. Um, One of the things that I was surprised that I didn't see from Miami last night was I didn't see a lot of backers shooting gaps. So I thought they were going to bring the house early on. I thought they were going to run to Eric King a ton, which looked like their game plan offensively beginning of the game. I mean, they showed their hand, like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we think can beat you guys. And it has proven to be the formula to beat Carolina all year long on the defensive side of the ball, right? Running quarterbacks are our kryptonite. Um, but when they were on, when they were on defense, I fully expected to see a ton more pressure. Um, I, I expect to see a lot more run blitzes than I actually saw. I expect to see a lot more, um, uh, a and B gap fits, right? Shooting corners off the edge, maybe bringing an extra guy too, right? Trying to flush Michael and Javante outside and then blow him up with a corner coming off the edge or something like that. Twist games in the run are typically an effective way. Um, if, if, you're, if your offensive line doesn't see them coming, twist games in the run can be a quick way to blow up, or blow up the run game. I thought that's what we were going to see. And we didn't see it. And the few times that I did see it, we did a good job of picking it up. Um, Miami, I think, was a little more concerned about you know, one, You know, if we got rolling, which we did the first play of the game, if we got rolling on the ground, they were worried about bringing guys and leaving voids in the defensive backfield, right, for the passing game, for that RPO game. I think that's what they were really concerned about. So they played a lot of base, man-free kind of looks, and we just – I mean, we tore it up. I mean, it was it was like running against – and I don't want to say this, you know, again, Division One players all got scholarships. If you get a scholarship to Miami, you're pretty good. Um, but I mean it was like running against a scout team you know scout looks at least you know very you know kind of a kind of a base base fronts and you know let's just line up and and do what um, what we know how to do with our bread and butter plays and we know we ran the ball so effectively we never had to throw the ball the other thing I I was sitting there waiting for was when is Sam going to get his throwing touchdown because he had a 23 game streak and I'm like we're not gonna we're not gonna blow these guys out by 40 points and then also let Sam's streak die are we I mean this is ridiculous and then Thank goodness, you know, Sam made a heck of a play, right? Um, finally got his throwing touchdown but, and, and capped off what is a, a pretty complete day for a quarterback, rushing, throwing, and receiving touchdown. Um, you know, our own little uh, little Mar- Marquise Williams reboot. Um, but that's, uh, that, that was my general impressions of the game. I mean, I, we can sit here and nitpick certain things, you know, and we'll get to that. You know, I saw Brian Anderson made a couple of mistakes, but not a ton. He's proven to be better and better every single week as we've gone on this season. Um, Jordan Tucker uh, made, made a, a couple of mistakes. Um, you know, we can, we can get into that stuff, but for the most part, I was very impressed with the offensive side of the ball. I was impressed with the offensive line play. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that – I didn't think Miami was quitting and laying down the way that Kirk Herbstreet thought they were quitting and laying down. Uh, I thought that schematically they were just getting beat, frankly. Um, I didn't think they did what they needed to do to stop the running game from a schematic standpoint. I put a lot of that on the coaches, but I think they're really afraid of a slicing and dicing them with the RPO game and that's why they left so many guys back and as opposed to bringing them on pressure.
1: EJ, we've been talking about the past couple of weeks that this Carolina defense is starting to figure it out and how big of a test uh, a quarterback like Dierick King would be for a program that has historically struggled against a dual threat quarterback. Is it safe to say that this Carolina defense aced its final exam of the regular season?
0: Oh, with fine. Colors. I definitely think it's safe to say that. And I mean, that's that's one of the things that I was really excited about. And I think more so than than having seven sacks and getting the young guys involved was the fact that we took a weakness, a glaring weakness of ours from this whole season, and we actually made it a strength and completely shut down their offense. Because there's no one Miami in the history of that program, no matter who the coaching staff is or who the players are they tend to focus on one thing and hang their whole game plan on that. I just have a feeling that the whole game plan was hanging around the King's ability to run the ball. But what you can see um, Coach Bateman does schematically – he was blitzing one of the linebackers, either Chaz or Jeremiah, while the other one was hanging back at the st- as a spot. So you're using your two best athletes on defense: one who's who's getting him out of the spot, who's making him uncomfortable when he's passing, or if he's running, you have a free rusher to kind of diagnose that. While your other best athlete, probably second first or second best smartest player on defense is sitting back just seeing where this quarterback went and I think it was absolutely amazing and it wasn't just those two guys I mean it was Taman Fox it was Des es- Esmond it was Clyde Pender it was Ray Bohavik it was um it was the other Fox brother I mean it was it was everybody together with a concerted effort everyone doing their jobs kind of what I was talking about earlier this year I mean you saw consistent pushback on their on their offense we created a new line of scrimmage so we, we brought the fight to them. And, yes, um, Miami will lay down if you get after them a little bit. And, and like Mike said, I do disagree with Kirk. I don't think that they came out flat or I don't think that they just gave up. I think that we beat the will out of them. And that's something that people aren't used to seeing from Carolina. But that's exactly what happened. We out physical physical them on offense. They had what maybe one significant run from a running back and maybe one or two from a quarterback that day on the offensive side of the ball. We ran for 544 yards. If that's not bringing the physicality and bringing the fight to a team, I don't know what is. So that's I mean, how I, we
2: lost that. That's how we lost that uh, citrus. Not the Citrus Bowl, but uh, that was a the Champ Sports Bowl when we played Baylor. Mm-hmm. That's how Baylor exactly. beat us, right? I mean, it really just it breaks your back.
0: Mm-hmm. As a defensive player,
2: it breaks your back. And as an offensive player, you know you can do whatever you want for the whole game if you're running the ball that way.
0: Exactly. And I think that's kind of what it won. I think that our defense saw the physicality that our offense was bringing and the fact that we were they were able to go out and execute. I mean, literally do exactly what you want. And I think Michael co-signed this. Mike and Vipo both co-signed this. The side of a good running offense is being able to run the ball when you want to when you have to, and when you need to. Yes. And I think Carolina can do that. I mean, I mean, I think Carolina's good for they, – they get a 10-yard rushing first down as soon as they step off the bus with these backs that are so good. And I think some of that energy is really starting to, starting to carry over to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, think of that fourth and one play in the beginning of the game that set the tone. And, and as, like I was telling a bit before we got on air here, I think Chad Surratt made himself a, a buttload of money yesterday. I mean, you think about that fourth and one play where he's spying on the quarterback. Not only did he diagnose, not hop over or, or lose his gap integrity, but kept stayed true to his eyes, knew what he was saying, and he made the stop on fourth and one with a very emphatic tackle. So I definitely think that we aced any challenge that – that came on uh, before us yesterday. And I really wish we had two or three more games <laughs> against some of these top tier ACC opponents to really kind of with this defense now, because I know that the confidence that they, now they know that they can stop a running quarterback and they didn't just go out and stop a quarterback who happened, who just, also, happen to be able to run. They stopped one of the, I think, one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the country, mm-hmm. um, as, as we could see by his Heisman, um, his finish in the Heisman race a few years ago. So, this wasn't just any old quarterback or any old offense that like, like Mike mentioned that we were facing. This is an eight and one team. This is one of the top teams in the country, a top 10 team, a team that Honestly, without, without a couple slip-ups, maybe looking at paying for the ACC championship and, a, and potentially a spot in the college football playoff. So I definitely think this is a signature win. Um, I do think that we're starting to have Miami's number a little bit. If you talk about '04 4 and just kind of my personal record against them being 3-1 and one, and honestly maybe only a few hiccups since then. So, I mean – I definitely, this is one of the wins you need to to hang your hat on with ACC play and beating one of the big dogs within your conference, but just one of the big dogs nationally. And I mean, one thing that was brought up, I guess the commentators got into is that these teams don't directly compete in each other's backyard for recruiting. But with the area that Carolina's in right now, with looking for a lot of these four- and five-star recruits, you are in Miami's backyard then, because you're going to have to dip into Florida or even if you're in your own state, those are going to be the type of guys that Miami comes over. And I think a win like this and us being able to have con- con- consistent, I think, continued success against this program is only going to just pay a- pay dividends way down the road. So not- I-, I think we aced that that test for not only last night, but I think for the um, the future.
1: Um, EJ sticking with the point you made about physicality I feel like that was the one of the biggest things that jumped out to me that Carolina made a concerted effort to be the most physical team on Saturday and you had players like Aquarius Conley and Chad Surratt setting the tone early you know how how big was you kind of mentioned both of them at times but how big was their play and when you look at them as a whole, like a guy like Chaz Surratt, the last time he was in Hard Rock Stadium, he threw three interceptions, and it was probably the lowest moment of his football career. And then you have a guy like Aquarius Conley who, after the Miami game, he posts on Twitter a picture of him flexing, and it's the caption is, the best funeral I've been to. Just happy I was in white and blue. So how, how, <laughs> wow. first off, A-plus caption there. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. A-plus A-plus that's next ca- level. That's next level. That kid, ca-
2: that, that, that kid did his homework in high school.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, he did. How, how important was Surratt and Conley to Carolina's game plan where they were the most physical team out there and it was those two kind of setting the tone early?
0: I think that I think that kind of tells the story of this program. I mean, you, you think about a guy like Chaz, who was a Gatorade Player of the Year coming out of high school, all-world quarterback, to go and like you said, have the lowest moment of his career, probably football and both personally on that night, and to be able to come full circle after having switching positions, having I think one of the best years from transitioning to position, no matter what position you're going to. In college football history, to be able to come into this year being the dominant player that he is, and did what he was supposed to do yesterday, he completely dominated that game. I and think took Chaz- a bunch
2: and took a bunch of criticism early in the year. I mean, we yeah. sat here and talked about it on this pod. I mean, the Florida mm-hmm. State game, his bad angles. You know, we people thought, you know, well, look like Chaz just quit, but you made the back then. You made you made the very astute observation that Chaz is gassed because he was the only guy out there making plays, mm-hmm. right? Him and Don Chapman. Um, oh yeah. You know, so that, I mean, but Chaz received a lot of criticism this year. Some of it deserved, some of it undeserved. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of it's just Chaz was on the screen so much because he was flying around trying to make so many plays that he was the guy you noticed when things went wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I I mean, I'm with you. I didn't mean to cut you off here, but, I mean, I'm excited about what Chaz did yesterday because, um, well, you'll you'll all be hearing this on Monday morning, but I'm excited about what Chaz did on, on Saturday. Because, you, like you just said, he did what he was supposed to do. He did what he's expected to do, right? Mm-hmm. And good, bad, or indifferent, the reason Chaz has those expectations is because of last year and that tra- that historic transition that he made from starting quarterback to starting middle linebacker, right? And the per- And the performance and the production that he had that first year at that new position, you know, he had – the expectations for him this year were a Buckus Award. I mean, anything short of a Buckus Award, I think, was going to be a failure in a lot of fans, commentators, um, scouts' eyes, right? And I don't necessarily think that's fair for him because now he's going to be game-planned against, right? And he's also going to put that kind of – he's going to put extra pressure on himself, which I think we saw early in the year kind of bit him in the butt a little bit. Um, But he's always – he's been the same player all year long. It's just now the guys around him have started making – Um, have have come along a little bit and they're giving him a little bit more help and allowed him to, to, to kind of
0: shine the way he did against Miami. And and I agree with you, and I think Jaquarius Conley was exactly one of those players. I mean, he kind of fits in this defense a lot more like Virginia Tech plays their rovers. You know how Virginia Tech kind of played guys like Davon Morgan and Cam Chancellor and and all those guys where he kind of – he has the knowledge and the physicality to be able to play on the edge at the line of scrimmage, and he also has the knowledge to be able to drive back into pass coverage, and I mean – and I think – Chaz kind of took care of all of those criticisms on that fourth and one play. I mean, what what were we talking about, Chaz? He was out of position a lot of times. It seems like he was taking bad angles. Chad was in the perfect position. Chad used his eyes and did not, and did not go with the motion of the line of scrimmage. He actually followed the ball and he made a solid tackle and didn't miss that tackle. But I think Jaquarius Conley, I think this kid is going to be an absolute superstar for our defense in combination with Tony Grimes but I just see this, I just see him as a guy, a do everything guy I mean he, he puts me on the mind a lot of the Norris he can play up around the line of scrimmage, he can be physical, he can play in the run, he can fit in his gap well, no matter whether it's the A, B or C gap, he's going to own that gap and play it and then when you have guys like Tony Grimes on the outside who's going to have your back and coverage different things like that, there's only there's nothing but upside and I mean look at our defense line our defensive line is fairly long fairly young Uh, I'll I'll say minus uh, Taman Fox uh, but I do think that with um, Chris Collins some of those other guys Mm -hmm. I definitely think uh, we Chris Collins I mean we definitely have some guys that can come in and kind of repeat that production but Jaquarius Conley excites me a lot I mean you don't put together that type of game on prime time as a freshman especially someone who's been that's really been playing mainly special teams up to this point he's been kind of peppered in there a little bit more lately but I mean, the guy really showed up, and I think he claimed his spot um, for the next few years in that Carolina defense, and I think he garnered a little bit of that national attention, and, and I think there are a lot more people talking about him today, and I'll be talking about him tomorrow in the same high regard that I'm speaking about him now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you
1: love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, uh, first off with Chess, Rad, I I think this kind of just goes back to the point we've kind of been making all season, where the more sound this defense is, the better somebody like Chaz Surratt's going to look where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think his play has ne- – like he came in as a preseason All-American. I don't think his play has dipped or anything in that sense. But it's a case where when everybody on Carolina's defense is doing their job, Chaz Surratt's going to do his job and make plays that make him look really good. And like you you said, EJ, it's it's making him a lot of money in the process. And then kind of sticking with that All-American trend, Jaquarius Conley for a true freshman he looks and he plays like somebody who is going to be a future All-American like if you're telling me that kid's a true freshman out there I do not look like that as a true freshman <laughs> or anything close to that so I mean that every time I see him it kind of like blows my mind that he is a true freshman and I remember talking to people during training camp um, who who work for the program who are around the program and they were all saying like Jaquarius Conley's good and at the time Carolina had a pretty loaded secondary and it's, it's taken a lot of hits with injuries and with the guy like miles Wolfolk getting, um, dismissed from the team. But I, I just remember saying like, where's Jaquarius where Conley going to play? And the person was just like, we're going to find a way to get him on the field. Like, I don't know where it's going to be, but he's too good of a talent to keep him off the field. And, um, just just watching him kind of set the tone early. I know he blew up that one pass for, I think, like seven yards to force uh, Miami's defense off the field after they got a field goal on their first possession. And then the next drive it was the one where uh, Chassarat blew up the fourth and one. And once once that play happened, it, it kind of felt like this Miami team is is in trouble with the way Carolina's offense was moving the ball. But, Mike, going back to the running game with Carolina, you have a guy – like Michael Carter go for 300 plus yards, only the second person in Carolina history to go over 300 yards. Javante Williams adds in 236 more yards. They they're averaging 12.8 and 10.3 yards per carry. At one point they put up a graphic in like the third quarter that Michael Carter was averaging like 17 yards per carry. Mm -hmm. What exactly backbreaker? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he he had a couple of carries for one yard that really dropped it down yeah mouth. yeah, dr- yeah.
2: For, first time I saw him get stopped for a one yard gain right <laughs> I thought oh that's gonna drag his average down
1: <laughs> yeah but you know Jason Staples from Inside Carolina talked pregame that the best way to attack Miami's elite defensive ends was to run right at them and 500 plus yards later It looked like that's what Carolina did. Why was UNC able to have so much success on the ground? And what did you see along the offensive line?
2: Yeah, so what was really interesting was we didn't get a ton of push on the offensive line. It was a lot of position blocking. Um, And it wasn't that we didn't get pushed because we weren't trying. I think when we needed to get, when we needed to move guys and we needed to road grade guys, we did. but what, what I saw was – and, frankly, I was shocked by this because, I mean, if you look at a 17-yard average, right, and if you look at the the yards that we popped off in the run game, you'd think, man, they ran a lot of gimmicky runs and it was all misdirection stuff, and it really wasn't. It was a lot of inside zone, stuff that bounced, design cutbacks. I mean, your basic your, – your, your gap schemes, right, we saw, we saw some powers and some counters, and it was really just guys getting in the way, which has kind of been our MO all year long is we've had our blockers just get in the way, right, and we've talked about this before with Mike. Carter especially but Javante is really good about it too is setting up blocks right because they're so patient in the backfield they wait for things to develop in front of them right and then they just they find the hole and they just pop out and they're gone for for six seven yards typically an efficient run you know the only time we didn't see that really work was uh you know Notre Dame and Virginia to an extent um you know, they got, they got bottled up. That patience really kind of bit them a little bit in those games. But to, or Saturday night, I mean, it was – you would just watch – you watched them watch the play develop in front of them, set up their blocks, and then they made their blockers Right. All right, and I've talked about this before, about you know, running backs making us as offensive linemen and making us right. You know, we, we get out in space, and they, they set up a block, and they wait for that defender to commit. And whichever direction that defender commits, they know the offensive line is going to seal him that way, right? And then you just go the other way. It's real simple. But you've got to have patience, and you've got to have field vision in order to do that. And Michael Carter really showed that off yesterday, and so did Javante Williams. I mean, there were a lot of plays that you could tell weren't necessarily designed to hit outside but like Jason talked about in pregame we were able to get enough of those really good defensive ends or frankly those defensive ends would rush up field we saw this a few times you know their game plan was and i think maybe this was to overcome um you know their decision not to shoot linebackers as much as i thought they should have they had their defensive line play really vertical and had their defensive line just get up the field hoping that that would eat up double teams they'd be able to split double teams quick they'd have free rushers right and maybe they get Get in the backfield, create some create some garbage, create some traffic, create some trash, and then their linebackers, who are, I think are very good, I think Miami's linebackers are very good, would be athletic enough then to go one on one and make that play, right, and try and stop these guys. Um, I think that's that's the only way I can explain what I saw at Manny Diaz's defense yesterday. Um, but the the problem with that is is when you get defensive linemen that go vertical, right? When you get a piece of that guy, right, and you've got You've only got four rushers. You get a small piece of that guy and just bump him out of the way. You don't have to maul him. You don't got to get him 20 yards downfield, right? You just get him out of the way. You get a patient runner like Michael Carter, right? And a play that's designed to hit, you know, in that B gap, like say behind, behind the guard, right? It's an inside zone play cut back behind the backside guard. Well, now he can just kind of – you saw him bounce a little bit. Javante did it too. You saw them bounce a little bit around the outside where the the play just kind of bows. And at that point, those linebackers who recognized inside run, right, and came up and played the inside run, they got caught up in the trash. And at that point, when those linebackers are caught up and, and jumbled up amongst those big bodies we have on the offensive line, right, defensive line shot straight up field, we got a piece, they hit their gap, they then bow it out. Right? Those linebackers are caught up in the trash. And next thing you know, you've got an edge, right? And there's because there, no, there was no one there. There was no edge integrity yesterday for Miami. You've got an edge, and what should be a four yard gain, right, has now turned into a 22 yard scamper. And it's all because you didn't have anybody. And it's not a gap integrity issue. It's just it was a game plan issue. Their game plan was to shoot those defensive linemen upfield in essentially pass rush lanes, okay? And our offensive line did a good enough job of getting pieces, moving them away out of the way just enough right to where our running backs had options they could either they could either stay true to their um, stay true to their running lane right on their inside zone plays or when you see those linebackers again come down to try to stop that as was the design as was the defensive design yesterday when you see the linebackers come up to the line of scrimmage to stop that inside run you just kind of bubble it out a little bit and you just keep pressing press and press and stretch and next thing you know you're up the sideline for 20 yards um, I thought it was Uh, An exhibition of patience. Um, It wasn't anything I thought that we did special on the offensive side of the ball. I think it was a, they had the wrong scheme. Miami had the wrong defensive scheme and the wrong game plan, right? For what our offensive line is good at doing, which is just giving our guys enough time, giving Javante and Michael enough time to make a good decision, right? And that was just the case you know, every single time we hand the ball off to run it. I mean, they just gave them just enough time to make a good decision. The right decision was always made right against what I think was a bad defensive scheme and a bad defensive game plan. And you saw the results. I mean, again, it played out like it does against the cards. It looked like we were running against scout cards yesterday. Um, and it's not for lack of talent and it's not for lack of ability on Miami side. Uh, I think it's frankly a failing of that coaching staff. That game plan was, terrible for what Carolina is good at doing, which is patient runs um, and kind of leaning on you, leaning on you, leaning on you, and then busting one and leaning, 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 and busting one. We just, we didn't have to lean at all. We just, you know, we just broke runs every single time we handed it off.
1: Yeah, it's, been it's awesome. not
2: the norm. Fans should not, <laughs> fans <laughs> should not set their expectations based on this game. This was a, this was a, I don't want to call it a fluke, but this was a one shining moment kind of thing. But what it was was, a a a a perfect example of again like i said earlier what this team is capable of particularly in the running game it was nothing gimmicky um you know it wasn't misdirection stuff again it was carolina lined up and did what they had to do and executed and when this team executes you can tell that you know every one of Phil Longo's plays is designed to score just like every offensive coordinator's plays every single one is designed to score for the most part except yesterday we saw it actually play out we saw what 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 offensive plays Right, are designed to look like, and we saw it every single time we ran one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it has been awesome to watch Michael Carter and Javante Williams, both catapult into that elite back territory. And I I love the relationship that they seem to have with the offensive line, where you know a, a guy like Michael Carter rushes for 300 plus yards, and the first thing he's doing in the post game is thanking his offensive lineman for helping him out when a lot of that is him making amazing cutbacks and my favorite part of the post game I don't know if you guys saw it was he was being interviewed by Maria Taylor (laughs) and he could see in the corner of his eye the offensive line taking a picture together and he was like I'm leaving this interview to get in this picture with Mm -hmm. the offensive line and I I think that just kind of speaks to we talked about Michael Carter's legacy and how he'll be remembered last week I, I think it just speaks more to Michael Carter and you know, it, it, it has been truly awesome to see him develop into one of the best backs to ever come through Carolina. He, he made people look silly with his cutbacks yesterday. And then Javante Williams, that, that one rush where he hurtled, uh, trucked a guy, and spun, that, there's, there's very few plays where my jaw drops when I'm watching football. That play, I like. I had my YouTube TV open, and I like rewinded it like fifteen times. Like, I don't care about what's happening in in this drive. I don't care how this drive ends. I'm gonna watch this play, a million times. And I th- I think those those two plays kind of just, encapsulate how how prolific and historic this Carolina offense has been between uh, Michael Carter and Javante Williams. But EJ, going back to the point with the physicality from the defense, the defense missed just five tackles compared to Miami missing 21. And we were talking the, before the show that I think 17 of those came on a couple of Javante Williams runs, but this is now the, the fourth straight game where Carolina has missed single digit tackles and Miami is a team, especially we talked about it. They're, they're not short on athletes. They're, they're, very slippery in open space when they get the ball. So how impressive was that for you, for this Carolina team, to see them be able to tackle so well in open space against a team with the caliber of athletes like Miami has?
0: And, and to your point, I, d- I definitely think that's what makes it more impressive. I mean, we had Western Carolina in a couple of, of, of games where the, I, I, I won't – as Mike said, they, these are all Division One athletes, and I won't slight anyone – but when everyone's on the same playing field, there is a level of elite, and I think Miami prides themselves on on recruiting those type of elite athletes. Um, a lot of the time, they are recruiting on based on athleticism, speed, skill, measurables, and. For us to go out and tackle some of those guys and I mean and not just shoestring tackle, barely getting these guys. These guys were going backward when we were tackling them. We brought the physicality. We met those guys where they were without them having a <clears throat> excuse me, a chance to get started. And I think that was the big difference. It was that physicality. It was that creating a new uh, line of scrimmage and be able to tackle these guys before they get going or just the wide receivers whenever they're going out for a route. When they touch the ball, they're hearing footsteps already. So they're already bracing themselves and I think that a lot of the stuff that we did in the beginning of the game allowed that to happen. I mean, I don't care what level the Miami team is on. I I I remember I think it was 2007, coach Davis's first year. We're playing Miami. I mean, we're beating them pretty good and next thing you know, here's two a eight, almost 80-yard touchdown drives, two-yard drive, two two-play drives that are going down the score until the point where we we're a little bit nervous at the end of that game. But we didn't see that happen yesterday. I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit when they scored that touchdown right before the half, I was like, okay, here we go again. Carolina defense plays good uh, in the first few minutes and then things are back to what, we, what we're used to seeing. But that didn't happen, and I think it's simply a lot of it has to do with us setting the tone of physicality. A lot of it has to do with Miami being front runners and them having to play f- from behind the most of the part. Their game plan was completely eradicated. And, and just like Mike says, they had the terrible game plan of rushing your defensive lineman up the field. And by the way, I don't care who you're playing. If you have your defensive lineman playing vertical lanes up the field you're going to give up 500 rushing yards to the school of the deaf and blind that is no way to play that's some high school stuff yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's a high school game plan yeah and 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 and, and i noticed that as well and i think that was a bad game plan and i think that i won't say the offensive coaches had a bad game plan but i think we hit them in the mouth to make them change their game plan which was going away from running derek king and kind of using that to play action and, and get some big plays going i mean we were sound and everything that i've harped on on this defense missing tackles um, giving up big plays, not being sound in your pass coverage, not reading your keys, we literally eradicated all of that yesterday. And I think with it being the last game, I'm not as, as nervous about bragging on it a little bit because I don't think we may, maybe have, what, one case study to kind of disprove all this stuff. But it's very impressive to see this defense work on and constantly improve the things that were their weaknesses. The best tackles were weaknesses. Weakness over the last four weeks we've cleaned that up playing technique football, even though we lost that game to Notre Dame and lost some of these other closer games, still have been playing technique sound football. We've been playing, bringing the physicality. So I definitely think that going into next year, going into the bowl game, um, as we were kind of talking about earlier, if we are happen, happen to see Florida in the Orange Bowl game, I mean, if this is a, a dejected team coming or in Or Texas here, we, A&M. Oh, yeah, or it's Texas A&M. A&M A&M's,
2: A&M's, A&M's more likely at this point.
0: Exactly. We can see a very similar game. I mean, we can see a defense that can bring the physicality as a bowl game that we want to be in as opposed to a team who thinks that they should be in the playoffs or playing for something bigger. We're going to appreciate that more, and I think you're going to see a very similar effort um, that we saw on Saturday from this defense. So it's just very encouraging. And I think more so than the missed tackles is just the fact that, like I said, they've improved on something that was a, a constant pain for us all season.
2: Well, we should all be Tiger fans this, uh, this, this coming weekend. I got my orange shirt on, too. I've, I've
0: been learning the C L E M S O N. I heard that enough when they beat us 63 to 7. I don't uh, think I should I say it. I thought, I, I thought you spelled it
2: C L E M P S U N. I thought it's how you spell Clemson. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I, I still have nightmares from the 2015 ACC championship oh, yeah. and hearing the crowd. No, we we still that. have nightmares from the 2006 game down in Death Valley. <laughs> oh, 63 to seven. Yeah, yeah. But the going back to the tackling. I mean, the tackling in open space has drastically improved. According to Pro Football Focus, Aquarius Conley leads the team with an 84.9 tackling grade. He has. Uh, according to them, he has 24 tackles and just one missed tackle in nine games played. You, you look at a guy like Chaz Surratt, who has played over 700 snaps right now, and he's missed 11 Jeez. tackles. You look at a guy like Jeremiah Gemmel, who has <sighs> – Chaz Surratt's played 732 snaps. Jeremiah Gemmel has played 731. Jeremiah Gemmel has missed seven tackles. So, I mean, you, you're seeing the core of this team they're they're pretty sound tacklers they all have tackling grades somewhere around the 80s which points to elite tacklers and I think that's been one of the biggest things for for this defensive turnaround and EJ sticking with you I I think one of the things pregame that we had talked about was that Derek King was surprisingly a good passer like I don't think as many people coming into this season thought he would be the passer he was uh so far up to this game But, you know, again, according to Pro Football Focus, he was a top 15 passer uh, grade-wise when it came came to power five quarterbacks. And Carolina has had to deal with injuries uh, in the secondary. And two two players that I kind of want to highlight, Kyler McMichael and Tony Grimes, they were targeted six times. And combined, they allowed one catch for two yards with two pass breakups and an interception. The, the Rude, Boys and, the Rude a not, Boys, and a not and a knock called pass interference. Rude. <laughs> the Rude Boys might be back. What do you think of their performance?
0: The Rude Boys are back. I mean, when you think about this young group that we have, I mean, there's no reason to say that the Rude Bo- Rude Boys aren't back. I mean, even when I played, I mean, with, with us having uh, Kendrick, Bernie, Charlie Brown, Doris Norris, Deontay Williams, I mean, it's kind of hard to replace that group of guys uh, playing behind you. But this group that we have coming up, I am completely, completely, completely impressed with these guys. I mean, you're talking about two young guys who who, who are going up against a, quote, unquote, an elite quarterback to give up just one catch. I mean – there, there, there's nothing much else to say, but even Trey Bly had a pick last night, and he didn't get any credit for it. And by else said? I didn't
1: see that I did see
2: was, that.
0: Exactly. I was waiting. I
2: was waiting for somebody to say something on TV, and and because Herb Street's usually good about that. And neither him or Fowler said anything.
0: We got to add that to the total, though, right? Yeah, that's, that's got to go
2: in, right? I mean, everybody got in on the action, even the coach.
0: Mm-hmm. But but you know why that that uh, secondary played so well yesterday is because. Something else I haven't said about this defense all year: our pass rush was absolutely relentless yesterday. I, I cannot. I can only count maybe two or three plays where the King was comfortable in the pocket. I mean, Chris Collins, Denz Evans, uh, Taman Fox. I mean, you had everybody who was anybody in that backfield uh, pressuring that quarter, pr- pressuring Dear King. So it was hard for him to get comfortable. So um, I definitely think it was a group effort. But what also encourages me that a lot of those guys in there involved with that pass rush were a, bu- a bunch of young guys who. Were going to be there um, playing in front of that secondary was for the last couple of weeks, I've seen nothing. Everything I've seen that has excited me about the future of this defense and not just the future of this defense for next season, but the future of the defense that we're going to see in this bowl game. I mean, I know at the beginning of the year, I mean, even with some of our veterans and injuries and things we've seen over the last few years with our secondary just getting abused, we're now moving into a point where our secondary has progressively overcome injuries and overcome their senior leader being uh, dismissed from the team and actually have become a strength of our defense. And you're talking about a guy that's one guy that's a true freshman. Another guy that's supposed to still be in high school. So I don't know what we call him is he maybe a prepubescent freshman, but these are guys who aren't supposed to be doing the things that they are doing and they're (laughs) doing them at a high level. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I'm impressed. And I I definitely think that uh, this leads me to believe, this leads me to believe that we're going to have top tier defense, at least for the next two or three years. He's a pink shirt. He's not a red shirt.
2: He's not a gray shirt. He's a pink shirt.
1: Yeah. When you look at the secondary, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, how young they are. You have true freshmen and Tony Grimes and Jaquarius Conley and, uh, you get somebody back next year, like Storm Duck, who is mm-hmm. only a sophomore this year. Don
2: Everybody Chapman. forgets about Storm Duck. Yeah,
1: he's best name in football. He, he, yeah, yeah. He's, he's and he's a he's a player. Yeah, up to the point when he got injured, he was unquestionably Carolina's number one corner. He, he was he was a sophomore this year. Don Chapman's a sophomore this year. Kyler McMichael is a sophomore this year, and this is a weird year where you don't know how players will use this year for extra year of eligibility Mm -hmm. since it technically doesn't count. And I mean, you can't say enough about the job that Dre Bly has done in his first collegiate coaching job. And you, you could tell that the players are really buying into what he's coaching and the message he's pointing out there, the message he's putting out there. And the thing I really like about Dre is, you know, we've seen a lot of coaches who they're coming in and, they're looking at, at Carolina as a stepping stone job. And we all know that nobody loves Carolina more than a guy like Dre Bly. And he's mm-hmm. somebody that you can build a program with. He's, he's not somebody who is going to have a, a great season with a lot of unproven talent and then all of a sudden be looking for that next job. Like from from what I could tell, Chapel Hill is like home to Dre Bly. And he, he was – a lot of people might have questioned it, since he didn't have a job, um, a collegiate coaching job before this year. But uh, the results are speaking for himself right now, and it's easy to see why recruits are going to want to play for him and why the defensive backs, why he has been, um, why he has been able to reach them at, at such a level to bring out this performance from a group that could have used a lot of injury excuses. But Mike. Well, Dre the- was,
2: was also unquestionably one of the top – defensive back trainers in the country before he started working with uh with mac Brown's staff right i mean he's stefan gilmore's trainer he trains a bunch of nfl guys he is for those you know anybody who follows O line training he's the charles bentley for defensive backs um he's the he's the defensive back whisperer but charles bentley is widely widely held to be uh one of the best offensive line trainers not he's not a coach he's a He's a trainer. Um, I was very fortunate to work with him for a brief period. He taught me things in a very short amount of time. No one had ever taught me before that changed the way I played. Dre Bly is a guy – he did that for guys like Stefan Gilmore and other big-name guys. Um, so he had, the, he had the experience, but you're right, he didn't have the traditional coaching job or the resume, right, which raised a lot of eyebrows. But there's no question that he is, he's qualified for the job, and I think you're seeing it in terms of player development. I mean, that's what college, that's what college coaches are here to do, right? You're here to recruit and then develop the guys that you recruit. And Dre, Dre has continued to do that, regardless of who gets rolled out there. At some point, you know, we had a rough start to the year. Once Storm Duck went down, you know, we obviously lost Wolfolk. We, we had a rough start of the year in the defensive backfield. But progressively, if you've really watched, that secondary has gotten better and better and better every week, and it culminated with this Miami game. Now, we'll see what happens in the bowl game because they're going to have a real test. Assuming Clemson wins, um, you know, they're going to have a, a, a top-caliber – sec team coming in whether it's kyle trask and a potential heisman trophy right or if it's texas a&m and a number shot at, another shot at jimbo fisher which we've had some success against jimbo in the past um you know it, it's going to be a a, a it's going to be a good opponent it's going to be one of the better opponents we faced all year um so it'll be interesting to see with three weeks to prep um you know what happens and also which players play because they might want to they might opt to spend the holidays with their families as opposed to in a hotel getting ready for a bowl game, too. So we have to see that because there's going to be quarantine rules around all that stuff, too.
1: Yeah, I from I guess from the outside looking in perspective, I can't imagine. Um, like I could see Texas A&M players sitting out. I could see Florida players sitting out if they. I don't that. see our guys doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. The this is uh, upperclassman who went through two win seasons three win seasons they want every opportunity they can right now and I think the message in the locker room is it's let's show people that Carolina can be a nationally ranked program that Carolina is a team that you know I think they they probably took it personal when everybody was saying this team didn't deserve a top five ranking whether whether that was right or not so there is a lot more outside motivation kind of like we were talking about before when we were looking at the Orange Bowl, that a team like Carolina is going to have more to play for than a team like uh, like a Florida or like a Texas A&M who kind of had bigger bigger goals for the season. And they're disappointed by going to a New Year's Six Bowl game where a team like Carolina, it's like this this is potentially the biggest game in school history for them. But, Mike, to to close out the podcast, the last question that I had was, Um, I've kind of gone back and forth what, what I thought the most encouraging part of this game is, and I think I've kind of settled on that. It's the fact that now for two straight seasons, Carolina has played its best football to close out the regular season. How big is that momentum for the program where you are able to display your best football? Late in the season, and kind of have that carry over into the off season into recruiting
2: well, I mean, we saw it last year, right I mean we landed a guy like Tony Grimes. We had an exceptional recruiting class um, coming in Des Evans right and, you know Rucker I mean a lot of these guys we had um, by just dis- by displaying that football at the end of the year we we gained new recruits and and retained guys that we already had committed, right, which is, which is another big component of recruiting, right? It's not getting somebody to say, yeah, I'll come to your school. It's actually getting them to say that and then getting them to the finish line, getting them to signing day. Um, you know, so that I think that our, our performance at the end of the year last year, the state game and then the Temple game, you know, it, it really it, – it, it clearly had a tangible effect, so much so that, you know, we had the kid from Temple wanted to come to Carolina, and we just didn't have room for him. Right. I mean, so we had the, the AAC Defensive Player of the Year wanted to come to Chapel Hill and wanted to play for Mac Brown. That's a team that you blew out in the bowl game. He's got to switch schools and he's like, I'm trying to go to Carolina. Right. I mean, that's that that is the kind of program that you want to have. You want to be the place that guys want to play. Um, and and, you want, and as, a, as a head coach, you know, you want, to, you want to have the coach that guys want to play for. And Mac Brown, I think, is that guy. So, you know, assuming they can tie together at the end of this year, you know, keep us trending upward you know, in a year that had a couple disappointing losses, you know, you can sit here and say, what if, you know, should we only have one loss if we'd actually won the Florida state and Virginia games, would we have actually won the Notre Dame game? Would it have been a different team, a different complexion, right? A different, you know, a different gravitas around that game than was already there. You know, we've come, we've, we've gotten as high as number five in the country. We've fallen out of the rankings. We're back in the rankings. We should be probably this week hovering somewhere. I haven't looked at the rankings yet, but I'm assuming we're somewhere around the, you know, anywhere between 11 and 13. Um you know, so we, we know you win you win the bowl game, right? And now you're catapulted. You finish the year as a top ten team. I, it's going to have a clear effect on recruiting. You know, aside from the the it factor that you already have with Mac Brown. Um, you know, his 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 energy on the recruiting trail. I think we've proven that age is just a number to this guy, at least in terms of recruiting. So, you know, when you have this trending upward at the end of the year, you know that last that last taste of the team that the media has and that the fans have and that the players who are watching the high school recruits who are watching that they have is positivity. You know, that makes recruiting so much easier in the off season. You don't have to walk in like Manny Diaz is going to have to do, right. You don't have to walk in the living rooms and say, you know, Hey, we want you to come be a part of this so that, you know, this sort of thing doesn't happen again. If you're, if you're, if you're finishing on the upswing, you can, walk into a living room and say hey we want you to come in and make this better right we've gone this far the next step now is conference championship college football playoff we want to do things that haven't been done at this school yet we need one piece you're that piece right that becomes the pitch to every big name recruit that you go and see in the off season and that sell is so much easier when you're finishing on an upswing than it is when you maybe you you blow Miami out but then you lay an egg in the bowl game right so i i'm excited to see what happens in the bowl game just assuming we get to go to an orange bowl which isn't set in stone yet um but assuming we get to go to a new year's six bowl that kind of exposure is fantastic um a win is even better um and i, I think you know we'll see even more positive effect on the recruiting trail coming out of that orange bowl with a win or whatever bowl game it may end up being with a win particularly if it's a top-rank opponent uh like a, like an a&m or a florida
1: yeah from a from a current team perspective i think first off. Um, it's it's so much easier to go into your offseason, go into spring ball when you have all this momentum where you are playing your best football where it feels like you just want to get out there because you don't want to miss a beat from, from where you ended last season. And then from a, a recruiting-type standpoint, you look at it like, I don't know how a recruit in the state of North Carolina could can watch that game yesterday and not want to be a part of that where it's like – Peyton Wilson didn't. Well, different times, different times back then. Yeah. But, but the, you, look at, you look at a game like that. Dax Holifield didn't. Different times, again, a different times. <laughs> We're coming off three wins then, but now yeah. the, the drawback they is – They should have known. The drawback is you want to play for a team like Clemson who's going to be in the national conversation. And I think a game like yesterday kind of showed that Carolina more than – more than deservingly deserves to be in the national conversation. And you look at how many true freshmen are out there performing now. It's like, why, why not join Carolina, stay close to home, be a part of something special.
2: There's a trap too, right? So you fall into, you don't want to fall into the Texas trap, the sugar bowl trap, right? Texas is back. Texas goes out and they beat, was it Georgia? in the sugar bowl several years ago with Sam Ellinger. And it was like the rise of Ellinger, right? Like Sam's going to be the Heisman trophy winner. He's going to be, he's going to be, he was supposed to be what Kyle Trask turned into this year. Right. But he was supposed to be sustained over several seasons. Um, He just hasn't Ellinger hasn't turned into that. Texas has actually gone on a downslide since then. Right. That was really the peak of that Texas team. And, you know, you, I think the trap they fell in was that they were a relatively young team and they peaked pretty quick. And, they started drinking their own Kool-Aid. So that's the balance you're on. Yeah, you've got a lot of young talent. Yeah, stay close to home. And yeah, the young guys are going to play. Those are all really great sells to high school kids. Like if you come here, you're going to play. We're going to play our freshmen. We're going to play our sophomores. You're going to be on the field. NCAA rules in a normal year say you can play four games in red shirt. You're going to play, right? We're going we, to see what you can do. Right, if you want to play now, this is the place you want to come. You want to play now and win. This is the place you want to come. But the other problem that you run into with a young team is drinking your own kool aid and falling into that Texas trap. So, you know, I would caution the players to the extent they listen to this, which you know, I would advise them never to listen to the media. But in the event that some of them do and they listen to me, you and EJ, um, knowing that we have their best interests in mind, uh, don't don't drink don't don't drink the kool aid. If you end up in an Orange Bowl, a New York New Year's Six game. Um, and you win that game, right? It's not—it's not a Texas's back moment. It's not a Mac is back or a Carolina's back moment. It's a look at what we've done. You know, the next—the next step is even—is even is, even, is going to be even more exciting. It's what do I have to do now to get to the next step? It's you know, have a little more humility than that because what we saw
1: was we saw that blow up in, in a young Texas team's face, and they've just never been the same. Yeah, my final point, uh, unrelated to that, is—it's kind of just how do you come back from this as a program if, if you're Miami? You've got – it's a program that was built on swagger and the trash talk, and they're crying about Carolina throwing the U down. They're, they're turning their Twitter replies off uh, for the final score graphic because they know the Canes fans are going to rip them. And it's, it's a case where if I'm Manny Diaz, kind of like you just mentioned, I don't know how, how you're going into high schools right now. And being how like,
2: many replies oh. do they think they're going to get from the Canes fans? Like 12? <laughs> There's only 13 total Miami fans in the whole country,
1: but all right. guys, That is, we've gone pretty long today, but what a regular season that was from the positivity pod. But uh, it's, it's kind of crazy to think how far this program has come in just two years, 24 games since, since a, a two win or three win season, where like I mentioned earlier, we're talking about Carolina potentially playing in a new Year's six bowl game. We'll see if, Notre Dame and Clemson can both sneak into the playoffs but guys great catching up with you as always Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase